Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you here on this brisk and beautiful day. So good. Who needs a cup of coffee when you can just stand outside for five seconds, right? Wakes you right up. It's a good, good day to be here in the church, gathered together in a warm place, right? Well, you know, as a kid growing up in Christian school, going to, to youth church youth groups, we used to play a game that we called Bibles Up. Now, I later learned that most other people doing this thing called the game a sword drill. Does anybody, anybody ever played a sword drill? Anybody raise your hands? We've got a few people. Okay, a few of you who've experienced this. So well, what, a, what a sword drill or Bible's up. See, I, went, I grew up Mennonite. We were pacifists, right? So we didn't, you know, didn't go to war, all those things. So I think that's why they came up with a different name and they didn't want to have sword in the name. But I digress. Well, here, if you don't know what this game is, here's the way it's played. You get a group of, usually it's young people. Uh, they're all seated in their chair. You got somebody who's administering the game and they would give a Bible reference, say Matthew 6.33. Well, the first person to find that verse in their Bible and stand up and begin to read it, well, they would get the points for that round. That's how uh, you get points. Now, as most games do whenever you get the younger people do it, things got a little competitive. And so, you know, people would oftentimes, they'd stand up at the same time and then they would just start like saying it louder, reading louder, assuming that that's the way that they would get the points for that round. If I was louder than the other person, then I was first. Uh, arguments happened a little bit. We probably should have been paying more attention to what was in the word than just finding the verse and reading it. But it was a lot of fun and uh, it was really joy. What were you doing? Well, we were learning how to navigate the Bible to quickly and easily find uh, Bible references and verses, all those different, you know, all the different books that we see in here, all the verses we want to find. Now, these, this was harder because, you know, things like Genesis, right? You give a verse in Genesis, that's easy, right? That's right at the beginning. But when you got to those, those more obscure books like Obadiah and Habakkuk, those were a little more confusing, a little harder to find. And there's a few of you are like wondering, did I just make those up to see if you know? No, those are real books in the Bible. Where Obadiah, like the shortest one, it's real. Habakkuk is not something stuck in my throat. It's, it's the name of the book. It's actually there. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. We enjoyed a chance to get in the word and, 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 and learn how to navigate our Bible. And as a church family, one of the things we're doing right now is we're on this journey of reading the Bible together. So in 2024, we wanna learn to love the word. We wanna learn to engage with the word, and we want to learn to live with the word. And that's what we want to do as we engage in reading the one-year Bible together. So if you heard in our announcements that we are giving away a free one-year Bible to anybody who wants to have a Bible or who needs one of those and doesn't already have it, because we want to do this journey together. So there's lots of resources on our resource page as well. If you want to register for the one-year Bible, you can scan that. Uh, go to tbc.us slash resources. That's where you can go and get more information. Because we want to be a church that has a deep value for the word of God. And we wanna give you tools to help you on that journey, right? We can, we can do things like play this Bible game. I thought about having you guys play the Bible game today, but in reality, what would happen is if we don't really set it up, you'd all just pull up your device and be, how quickly can I type that reference into the search bar, right? Of whatever device I happen to be carrying. It's not gonna work the same. Well, it's not just about being able to, to read the word because we don't just read it for information, right? We read the Bible for transformation, that's, that's part of the way we want, we want to engage with the word and why we want to value that and walk that through in, in this series, right? Because the Bible is truly a tool of transformation. But we recognize that it also has a lot of complexities and we want to acknowledge that, that we can't just read this like any other book. We, we, can't, we can't read it that way. We want to understand it. And so today we're going to continue in our series and we're going to look a little bit more about what is the Bible, 
how did we get the Bible that we have today? And then secondly, we're going to actually read, as we do each every week in this series, read from a passage that we actually read this week in our one-year reading. So before we do that, let's actually pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for each and every one who's here today in person, who's listening online, wherever you're at. God, I pray right now that you would come. You would be our teacher today as we dive deeper into the word that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as I said, as we participate in this journey of reading the Bible together, it's helpful for us not uh, just, just reading the Bible. Again, finding a verse is one thing, but understanding what we're reading is what's, what we really wanna do because we wanna understand it unto transformation. As Julie mentioned last week, this Bible is a collection of 66 books written by over 40 different, very diverse authors over, the, over a period of like 1,500 years. But we believe there was one architect, and that's God. See, we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. In other words, we believe that God gave life to his word, the Bible. But how did we actually get this book? How did it, how did it arrive in you know, this nice, neat format that, that we have today? Well, I, I love like Bible history. I kind of love like, like, hearing like, the, the origin stories of how different things happen. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about that. In fact, I'm not actually gonna talk about it. I found a much better resource in our friends at the Bible Project who have a great video that gives us a really good overview of how the Bible was formed. So let's watch that video right now. The Bible, it's one of the most influential books in human history. It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So, what is the Bible actually? Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets. And they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all humanity. And these prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling, and they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and life and the human struggle. So there's a lot of different authors writing this book. Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt, then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple. But eventually they were conquered by the Babylonians who took them away into exile. Then, at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land. They built a second temple, they reformed their identity, and this is when the Jewish scriptures began to be formed into the shape that we have them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible, what's in it? Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the law. That's Israel's five book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. And this section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophet's point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketavim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believe that through all of these literary works, God speaks to his people. Now, there were other Jewish writings being produced 
during this second temple period as well. Yeah, a really diverse group of texts. And these two were highly valued in Jewish communities. And there was debate from ancient times about whether or not some of these should be considered part of their scriptures. So this is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this? Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it all builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now, a few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward. Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead. Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. And so his earliest followers, called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world. And they saw these writings as part of the scripture. Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh. And they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside the scriptures of Israel. So that's the Old and New Testament. Okay, a little history. Do you guys like a little bit of history? Is it helpful to have a little overview as we think about uh, the Bible and how it was formed and how we get it in our hands? I, I, I love that and, and like to nerd out a little bit sometimes on some of those things. But it, it's just helpful because it gives us this bigger picture, right? And I want to be clear, we believe that the Bible is... 100% the work of human beings, but it is also 100% inspired by God. That's the point. Just as Jesus is uh, fully human and fully God. And when Jesus left, what did he say? I'm leaving so that, I, I, that the Holy Spirit will come. This this idea of, of Scripture being God-breathed. It is from the Holy Spirit. It is inspired through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so he left so that he could help us establish those scriptures. And we believe the Holy Spirit is the one who helps to do that. But the Bible is one story. That's how we understand it. It's the story of God's incredible love for us, sending his own son to save us and redeem us and set us free from sin. So when we become his children, because again, it's not just information that we're learning, it's transformation and we become his children, we also are carriers of that message because we know that with Jesus, everything changes. It's so important for us to understand. So we know a little bit more about what the Bible is. Let's look at how we can actually use it. And we're gonna look at the Apostle Paul in a verse where he talks about scripture in 2 Timothy. And for a little context, 2 Timothy is a letter written by Paul to his protege, Timothy. So he's writing him to give him instruction, admonition uh, on things that he wants him to know. And Paul's writing this from imprisonment in Rome where he was imprisoned for teaching about Christ. So we're gonna read from 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And this is what it says. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped, for every good work. 
So he's, he's talking about this place where it's inspired by God. They might understand as God breathed, again, and bringing the Holy Spirit into this idea of the formation of what the scriptures, that the Holy Spirit is alive in the scriptures. This isn't just information that we're actually transformed because the Holy Spirit is speaking through it. And Paul emphasizes this idea that the Bible is inspired and it involves speaking through humans who they may not have known that at the time they were writing that they were writing scriptures, but it was we truly believe that it was the Holy Spirit who was inspiring those things. So what Paul is doing here is he's giving us a context for how do we view and understand the scriptures, right? That is, uh, it, it is the, the purpose is teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And what, what does that mean, to train in righteousness? That means to, to, righteousness is this idea of being in right standing with God. So the Bible is a tool that can help us learn how we can be in right standing with God, not just by our own efforts, but what did God do to restore us to right standing with him? And so we believe that it is a fully trustworthy story so we can understand this bigger story and narrative of the, of the Bible, of God's ongoing love for us to restore us and redeem us to himself. So that's a little background of how did we get the Bible and what is the Bible to be used for. And so we're gonna actually engage with some scripture today and learn how it can teach us and how we can begin to apply it to our lives. And today we are going to read a story that's taken from our daily readings over this last week in the one-year Bible. And this week's reading... Uh, throughout this week, it had plenty of both challenging and encouraging stories and things that we could hear. See, remember, this, is, this Bible is the story of broken humanities working with God to see him bring us back into a place where we were connected to him. And so there's all the things that we see and read are all the, uh, the, the tough and challenging and like, man, why did they do that? Remember, this is humanity's brokenness coming through in this place. But God has this deep desire to see us redeemed and connected with himself. And so we're going to look at the, one of these stories this week. And as I said, challenging and confusing, but we don't want to get stuck in the weeds, right? So we're going to have some help and we're going to walk through it a little bit to help us understand it. And before we jump in, I think it's helpful for us to, under, to, to have some tools to help us understand what we're reading. And there's lots of different Bible tools that you can engage with. And I just want to give us a, a few simple guidelines that we can use as we're doing this. The first thing is context. Understanding what is the context of the story that I'm reading? What's the context of the passages that I'm reading? What's happening before? What's happening after? Those are really helpful. And it also can be helpful, not just in knowing the story in there, but understanding that culturally, there needs to be some places that we need to understand. Because remember, the Bible was written to and from cultures that were very different from our culture here today. So that's context. And then bigger picture, which kind of sounds like context, but I'm talking about this again, remembering that there is a bigger story in the Bible, that we don't just read these passages in a vacuum, that we always keep in mind that there's a bigger narrative that God is writing throughout the Bible passages, right? So we don't, we don't take out individual passages and then remove them from that bigger story and narrative. So we understand context and the big picture. And then finally, uh, for, for those three things is Jesus. Jesus is so important for us to understand that as we look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament is written and pointing to Jesus the future Messiah. And the New Testament tells us about who Jesus is and his message. And then it's the continuation of his disciples and apostles carrying that message out to the rest of the world. So Jesus lives at the center. So those few things will help us. And from there, then we can begin to ask, okay, God, how am I to look at and apply this to my life and to my walk and journey of faith? Does that make sense? Does that help us a little bit? So context, big picture, Jesus, and then we can begin to look at application. 
So we're gonna read from Genesis 22. Again, this is the reading uh, from January 9th from those who might be following along in one year Bible. And we're gonna start with some bigger context around the story. Again, this is the story uh, of God's chosen family and Abram, who has now become Abraham. And we've read uh, a lot of the story of Abraham and Sarah and their struggle uh, to, to have children, but God promised them that their descendants would be as as as, as as many as the stars, right? He's got these huge promises, but they've walked through some crazy stories of trying to get to those things. And finally, in their old age, when everybody thought they were far too old to have children, now God gives them their promised son, Isaac. And this was a, a moment of great joy, but it was also a testimony of God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises to Abraham. And so that gives us a little bit of context leading up. And then in today's reading, we're coming to Isaac, who's a little bit older now. We think, best guess, we don't know his exact age, but probably teenager, young adult, somewhere in that time frame. It's kind of the age that he's at now. And we're going to see that Abraham's going to face a really big test. A test that's going to stretch his faith even further than what it had already been stretched, and it had been stretched quite far. And again, if you have never read this story, there's some places of like troubling like things that God's asking him to do. And you're like, why? Well, we're gonna jump in and we're gonna give some context for those things uh, as we look at that bigger context and bigger story of what God is doing in this. So uh, remember that reading the Bible, reading like even stories like this, think of it like reading like your favorite series, the like multi-book series, that there's plot twists and changes and characters and things we don't always understand, but even some of the little things become really important in the end. And that's the way we can kind of think of the way that God weaves the story all throughout the Bible of what he's trying to tell us. So let's jump in now and check out the plot twist from this week's reading in Genesis 22, 1 through 18. It says this, and sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Okay, it's starting off a little, a little difficult. That's, that's quite the plot twist. Everything has led up to the promised son, and now Abraham is asked to give up the most valuable thing in his life, the very son of promise. God's saying, no, I want you to go and sacrifice, to give it away. Imagine what we would do in, in this situation. Can you imagine? What's like the most precious thing in your life? A, a child, a, a spouse, a family member, a friend. Maybe it's that coveted, you know, job, dream job that you got or got into school in exactly the right place and God answered your prayers. And now he says, and now give it all away. We'd be a little angry and frustrated and confused. And I'm sure Abraham was all of these things as well. So what happens when we don't understand everything that's happening? Well, we go back to the bigger context, right? We want to understand the bigger story of what God is doing here. And so we already talked a little bit about the context around the story of Abraham and Sarah. Let's talk about cultural context. I think this is important. See, it's hard for us to understand, but in that time, it actually would not have been uncommon for the, the false gods of that time in these surrounding cultures to ask for ch child sacrifices to them. And what this is, is a, it's a picture of the evil that had partnered with humanity and the corruption of sin that, that came about and affected the world. Abraham would have been fully aware that this was actually a fairly common practice in that time and in that cultures that surrounded him. But I'm sure he was very surprised when his God asked the same thing of him. 
So he doesn't know everything in this moment. Abraham hasn't been informed. God hasn't told him all of the why, but the one thing Abraham does have is he has history with God. He's seen God fulfill those promises to him, even in the midst of difficult and impossible trials. So let's see how Abraham responds as we go into verse three. It says, the next morning, Abraham got up early and he saddled his donkey and he took two of his servants with him along with his son, Isaac. And then he chopped the wood for a fire for a burnt offering. He set out and he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham loaded up and saw the pla- looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkeys, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further and we will worship there and then we will come right back. So even though Abraham doesn't fully understand what's going on, his response is immediate obedience, right? I'm sure it was a sleepless night, tossing and turning and wrestling, but he says he got up early, he got the things that he needed, and he immediately said, I'm gonna obey God and go to the land of Moriah where he's told me to go. And it's not just a quick quick trip either. It's three days, three agonizing days where you're wrestling and asking questions and, and worries and fears are coming up. Let me ask you a question. How often do we delay our obedience to God because we want to know all the answers first? And we tell ourselves, we need to know everything before we can move. See, when we submit our lives to God, there is no holdback of, well, only in this situation when I get all the right information. What we're not allowed to do is try to put ourselves on the same level as God, where we have to know everything that he knows before we're willing to say yes to him. And and the reality is this, we know from the previous story of Abraham, he wasn't afraid to ask questions. He wasn't afraid to share his frustrations with God, but his history had told him that sometimes it's better to just obey, even if we don't understand everything now. So Abraham, what does he do? He tells us, we're gonna go and we're gonna worship there. What is worship doing? Worship is a recognition of something or someone who's greater than you. So Abraham doesn't know everything, but he knows God needs to be in his right place in my life. And so he's gonna go and he's gonna worship. It's his choice through worship to surrender to what God had asked because God was teaching Abraham. And and you're gonna see there's a whole lot of symbolism uh, in this scripture and in this story that we read. And one is even just in the land of Moriah. Uh, There's a lot of symbolism in this that we'll pick up on even later, but specifically even the word Moriah can be understood as the land of teaching. And so God is teaching him something significant in this place. And so we also see that Abraham has, is holding on to this glimmer of hope. Because he's got history with God, he's believing that maybe God has a different plan. He's holding on to hope and trust. He tells that servant, you stay here, we're gonna go worship, and then we are going to come back. There's an implication. He believed God was going to provide. He didn't know how, but that they would both be returning. Right, so let's, let's continue and pick up in verse six. It says, so Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood. The boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. Abraham was being obedient and continued to move forward. But he was asking Isaac to carry the wood for his own sacrifice on his back as they made their way up to where God had called them to be. Now, side note, that's a pretty baller dad move, right? 
Even though he knows what's being called, he's like, yeah, you know, it's never too late to build character, son. Put this wood up on your back. I got a couple of teenage sons. I can't imagine that. Why? What am I, why would I have to put this wood on? What am I doing? But yet he did. And he asked to do it. But there's actually something more significant that's going on here. I want us to pick up on a prophetic picture that we're beginning to see in this crazy story. Remember, the Bible is one story. There's a bigger narrative that's happening. See, one day there would be another man who would have to carry the wood for his sacrifice on his back. He'd have to trust the plans of his father and walk in obedience to the place where he was to give his life. Even thousands of years before he was born, Jesus is at the center of this story. And God's giving the world a glimpse of his greater plan for redemption. Abraham is speaking in faith, even as he answers Isaac's question, where is the wood? He said, God will provide that, that sheep. He'll provide the offering. And ultimately what this story is, it's a story of provision. Abraham found faith that allowed him to take the next step in the journey that God had called him to, believing God would provide what he couldn't yet see. See, it was faith that allowed him to move when fear would have sought to paralyze him. God wants to provide. Let's, let's continue reading in verse nine. It says, when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. And when he tied, then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. And then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by the, its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named that place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. Sometimes we hear this as Jehovah Jireh. That might be a phrase that, that you've heard. And to this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Abraham remained completely obedient right up to the moment where the angel said, stop, stop. And it wasn't just Abraham, but it was Isaac who was willing to trust his father. And that if this was what God was asking them to do, then he was willing to do it. Abraham was willing to give everything including his beloved son. What a picture of God's plan. Jesus is right here in the Old Testament. We're looking for Jesus. We're looking for Jesus in the story and he's so evident right here. And God's setting up this clear contrast with all those surrounding cultures uh, in, of that time. He's separating himself and he's separating his, this chosen family and the future nation of Israel and saying that I am separate that there would be a people set apart to show that both God and his plan for humanity was different from the rest of the world, the evil that we see in the world. Jesus would be the promised son who would carry the cross, the wood for his sacrifice to the place of his death. He was the sacrificial lamb that God provided. So instead of humanity sacrificing their children for the sake of a false God, the God of the Bible said, I will sacrifice my son for the sake of humanity. This is a different God. He's not the same. So God wasn't being fickle and testing Abraham. He was making it very clear 
and to Abraham and to all future generations that God can be trusted as Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And this area where God did this, this Mount Moriah that it talks about in the Bible, sometimes we can think about all these Bible stories and they're completely disconnected from, from anything kind of real. What's so interesting about this is that same place where they believe, uh, where it's understood that Abraham, that this happened with Abraham and Isaac is where they built the first temple in Jerusalem. And so that very area became what we know today, even as the area uh, around Jerusalem. And it became a very significant site. In fact, it's still a point of contention today between all those who consider themselves of Abrahamic faith, the Jews and the Christians and the Muslims. They all consider themselves as connected. And you can see the dome of the rock that sits there today, that gold dome that's in that picture, that's the site. That's that location that's believed to be there. There's so much that God is painting in this picture of both what's happening in the moment and what he's speaking about into the future. Let's read the end of this story and see, uh, see how it concludes, in, uh, starting in verse 15. And it says, Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, Because you've obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. So this this story ends with God reaffirming the very promises that he had given to Abraham and Sarah about their family and their future descendants. Jesus would become the fulfillment of those promises that he gave to Abraham. And ultimately, they were actually the fulfillment of the same promises he gave to Adam and Eve all the way back in the garden that one day he would raise one up who would come and defeat their adversary, the devil. So the Bible is the story of God's plan to redeem mankind from the power of sin that enslaved us. It's the story of transformation through Jesus. See, Just as Abraham relied on his faith, he relied on his history with God, the habits of obedience that he learned, we too can learn to live in faith even when we don't know all the answers. This is how we can begin to apply it to our own life. We've we've read the story, we've understood the bigger context, and now we can begin to apply it. We can trust God, we can trust his word because he is entirely faithful to fulfill his promises to us just as he did with Abraham. He is our provider, even in the most difficult of circumstances. So as we go on this just journey of discovering God's word and we read the Bible together, we want to be honest about the challenges that we see there. But we also want to be obedient enough to trust that Jesus will reveal himself even in the places we don't yet understand. So we want to be a church that deeply values the word of God, both in our understanding and practice. You might, I might as here say we want to be both hearers and doers of the word. Because it's not just information that we hear. Transformation begins to happen when we put into practice and we activate the word in our own life. So let me ask you the question today. Where do you need the Lord's provision in your life today? What's the challenge or test that you're facing that feels impossible to get past? This story of of Abraham and Isaac, our perspective on it totally changes when we begin to, to put Jesus into the story. 
when Jesus enters the picture, oh, it changes our perspective on what God is doing. What happens when we let Jesus into the story of our own lives? What happens when we begin to put on the filter of Jesus as we look at the problems and the challenges that we're facing today? See, Jesus isn't somebody, he's not just somebody that we can go to. Jesus is somebody that will walk with us in those impossible situations, in those challenges, in the good things, in the tough things. Jesus wants to walk with us. He wants to be part of our story. So I'm gonna ask you to stand right now if you're able. We're gonna start our, our ministry just a little bit early as we, as we step into a time of worship. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pause, take a moment. I want you to invite Jesus into every part of your life today. If there's a situation that you're facing and you're not sure what to do, let's put Jesus right in that place. And we're gonna set aside any worry and fear, anxiety, anger, anything that distracts us from recognizing the presence of Jesus here today in the room with us. I'm gonna just pray and bless that and then we're gonna, we're gonna sing. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And we invite right now, Jesus, that you would come through your Holy Spirit, that you would begin to even speak into every person's life here in this room, listening online, wherever they're at, that you would make your presence known, that you would put yourself into our story and that we would surrender to you in obedience. And I thank you for this moment of worship where we can surrender to you just as Abraham did and put you in your right place. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.